Greetings, Alpha Seekers. Welcome to uh, the Sunday edition of Nugent Ventures Podcast. And, of course, that's the Sunday uh, feature, which involves reading the Chicago Tribune to you. And there's not much to share today. Uh, Our top story is somewhat investment-related. This Peloton outfit has gotten a warning on its product from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Uh, Kids apparently are getting hurt, and at least in one case killed, by watching the fun commercial and saying, okay, Peloton, I'm with you, and then before you know it, they're not with you anymore. So this is not good. Uh, And... Now, Peloton says the warning is inaccurate and misleading. Uh, No reason to stop using it as long as children and pets are kept away from it. Yeah, I guess um, there was a a pet incident. One included a pet. So, you know, fortunately for Louie, we don't have a Peloton here. But uh, that's not good. So that could hit the stock. I don't know. But obviously they need to put some kind of warning on the commercials. Not for... Keep your kids and pets locked up when you get on your your Peloton and tell the woman you're you're with her and all that. Okay, Peloton, you know, and all that stuff. Those commercials are kind of oddly intriguing and yet kind of nauseating as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, here's another kind of investment idea. I saw the CEO of a company called Okta, O-K-T-A. I think that's probably their symbol, too. And they're in the identity business. And I think that is crucial. Uh, everything is about identity and passwords and all that. And it gets to cybersecurity. So, he was talking about increasing. I learned a new acronym. That's why I wrote this down. TAM. TAM, which is Total Addressable Market. And their Total Addressable Market is basically everybody on the planet, you know, but it's it's a B2B thing. But ultimately, you know, this whole digital aid on anything is going to get more and more important, I think. So uh, next we'll go to a, a fun thing, which is the uh, Section 4, which I believe is... Arts and entertainment, although it doesn't say so. And the header, you'd think it would. But it doesn't. So there's a article about, it's a book promo type of article. Richard Thompson wrote a book called Beeswing. I don't know why he calls it Beeswing. But uh, Richard Thompson is a great... Uh, guitarist and songwriter who uh, rose with the British Folk Rock Inventors Fairport Convention and then had a partnership with uh, his ex-wife Linda Thompson and uh, now he's kind of on his own and the book is called Beeswing, Losing My Way and Finding My Voice 1967-1975 Oh, The title is from one of his most beautiful songs, The Gossamer Beeswing, which is on his 94 solo album, which I've never heard. 
Thompson is not inclined to look back longingly on his storied past. The remotest room of my mind has been shut up for years. The windows shuttered, the furniture covered with dust sheets. Dust sheets. If something is uncomfortable, I shove it in here and forget about it. When was the last time I dared look? I think we all lock away stuff we don't want to deal with. And pity those who don't, by the way. So says I. But he began to excavate his memory at the urging of a journalist who co-wrote the book with him, named Tinberg, who passed away in 2019. He lives in Montclair, New Jersey, of all places now. Um, let's see. So he said he wanted to focus tightly on the interesting years. He says, I read Keith Richards' autobiography. Who knew he wrote one? Who knew he could write? Uh, and Pete Townsend's and Paul McCartney's. And, uh, oh, Pete Townsend wrote a biography of Paul McCartney. He says, I got bored about two-thirds of the way through. The most interesting stuff is the first time you're experiencing something. Unless there's a murder in the audience, you're not going to have anything fresh. I was saying to a friend of mine, you know, nothing interesting has happened to me really since I was about 23. So, anyway, maybe 24. The rest we've just been talking about the same stuff we did. Thank God we have something to talk about, though. I pity people who said, well, you know what, I'm going to work, 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 and then I'll have my fun when I retire. No, you won't. You're just going to be sick. So, anyway. Um, he realized he hadn't done... There were things he hadn't dealt with in a long time. Uh, Sandy Denny, of course, was the vocalist with Fairport Convention, and she drank herself to death. She died in 1978, so they ended up firing her, uh, which was unfortunate. And about the pandemic, he says, it's been a great time for writing, but having been on the road since I was a teenager, being forced to be home has been difficult. I've had enough now. <laughs> so... So if you're a songwriter, this has been okay, right? And I write for a living. And if, by the way, if you know anybody who needs a copywriter or content writer or speech writer or any kind of writer, uh, I'm the right person for that. <laughs> so little little play on words there, you know. So uh, I am in the wordsmith business, and that's where I'm making most of what money I'm making these days. So I've decided to focus on that. So if you know anybody who could use a writer, let me know. Uh, reasonable prices. So, um, there's a lot of articles, John Cass, about this Toledo guy who is obviously a gangbanger, you know, and the Latin Kings have declared open season on the police. So that is all you need to know about what Adam was doing. Uh, he's out. A uh, shot detector goes on. He runs from the cops. He's got a gun. Uh, within seconds, the cop has to decide whether he's in danger or not. Cop shoots him, and Lori Lightfoot's got the BLM protesters uh, laying siege on her house. So this is the typical syndrome we've got today. And, you know, eventually, you're not going to have to defund the police. Who's going to want the job, really? And I think they're they're really going to have to just say, you know what, we're not going to go after these these folks anymore. I know I wouldn't if I was a cop. 
So Cass writes a, a sympathetic column. He interviewed the ex-chief of police, Eddie Johnson, who, of course, had his own problems. Uh, and at the end, he says, there's no good shooting. Some people have called this a good shoot. And then there's Rex Hupke, who I abhor, uh, who says, there's only one side of this argument here, that you can't kill children. Well, <laughs> those of you who remember being 13 know that there were some children who were not children anymore. They grew up fast. And the gangs, of course, use shorties because they're, the criminal justice system treats them more leniently. So, you know, to take this kind of an attitude is, is to me, kind of ridiculous. And he doesn't know what to do. He says, well, something has to be done. You can call it reform or defunding or oversight, but change must come. Uh, but the, what, what struck me as symbolic of our times, there's only one side to this argument. That's it. So... You know, just shut up and move on if you don't agree with me. That's the that's the world we're living in right now. now there's an interesting article here by Mary Schmeech. Uh, there's a author. It's a, a sort of a, another book promo thing. Heather McGee, who is not Irish particularly, as we will learn shortly, called the sum of us. And uh, she's been on TV all over the place. And her argument is that American racism has a, had economic costs for white people, too, uh, which is arguable. Uh, certainly the problems of the black community have been costly for society at large. And... Uh, but I think that, you know, the misdiagnosis of the problem is a huge issue these days. And what she, her essential argument is that if only all the lower, lower and lower middle class people, regardless of race, would unite, you know, it's a workers of the world unite thing, um, then they would have more collective power to go after the upper class. Well, that's not the right answer to this. Uh, and then she says that uh, the reason that uh, white support for civil rights and such dwindled after the 60s uh, is that people turned against government-funded programs for the undeserving, quote-unquote, even though they could help white people too. But that's not really, I mean, you know, I know a little something about this. The Having experienced uh, these issues firsthand, I think the reason that people turned against it is that they didn't work. And, you know, when you start to, when the safety net gets too comfy, it actually incents people not to take care of themselves. So my position has always been if people can take care of themselves, then nobody has to take care of them, and that's a good thing. Self-sufficiency. Uh, so a lot of opportunities were created in the 60s. A lot of money was thrown at the problem. You know, uh, Section 8, FHA loans, HUD, uh, 
you know, the whole grade society package. And it, it seemed that it took a bad situation and made it worse. So, uh, I mean, there were, there was progress and, and we can see that today, but by and large, a lot of this money was counterproductive. AFDC, you could go through a list of all these federal programs that I think actually made things worse. So that, I think, is why uh, there's been a backlash against that sort of thing. And that lasts from the 80s through uh, at least 2008. And, you know, now the, the pendulum is swinging the other way. So you've got a 40-year cycle here. And if you look at history, that 40-year cycle, you got 1776, you've got 1860, you, and that's more than 40 years, obviously. Then you've got, uh, you know, there was some civil unrest in the 1920s, late 1910s. Then after World War II, you had more civil unrest in the 60s. And now it's really bubbled up here uh, 60, 60 years later. Isn't that something? Well, but it's more like 50 years because the peak of the civil rights movement was really from 68, 66, 67, 68 on. So it's a kind of a cyclical thing. And, and you know, when you've got people like Hupke talking about there's only one side to this story... The only question I have, I think we're in a period of temporary insanity, but it could be permanent. So, you know, but in any event, it takes a long time for the cycles to play out. So I think we're in for one of those 60s types of cycles here that, or, you know, 1960s or 1860s. It's going to be a rough ride, in my opinion. Now, Eric Zorn, who's another guy I rarely agree with, he, you know, there's so much thought these days, one man, one vote, you know, Jim Crow laws in Georgia. But then he comes out and argues that an all-elected school board is a disaster. So the headline is Lightfoot's proposed elected school board is no such thing, thankfully. So it's like everything has to be democratic except when we say it doesn't need to be democratic. And fundamentally... It, it needs to be democratic so that we get to have the power. And when we don't get to have the power, then we, don't, we can't allow it to be democratic. That sounds awful lot like the dictatorship of the proletariat to this reporter. Now here's under the department of no good deed goes unpunished. The Crown family, which I, my law firm actually started out as the in-house uh, law firm of the, of the Crown family, a very philanthropic group. So the University of Chicago uh, has had a ton of support from them over the years. So they called their social work uh, school, the Crown Family School of Social Work Policy and Practice. And I mean, I'm not big on people like Pritzker's putting their name on everything. So James Crown happens to be on the board of General Dynamics, which is a U.S. defense contractor. So there's a group at U of C now I'm 
students, a group of students, alumni, and faculty have mounted a protest against the naming, even though they popped $75 million. The, and here's what they have to say. Talk about biting the hand that feeds you. The Crown family's investments in mass weaponry and war run counter to the National Association of Social Workers' values of social justice, dignity, and worth of the person by accepting a donation from the Crown family. The school is complicit in the family's efforts to promote continuous violent global conflict. <laughs> As the school shifts its operations to this new capital source, its celebrated programming scholarship opportunities and faculty appointments marketed as advancements towards social change will be funded by the military-industrial complex. This is a startling hypocrisy. And there's a Facebook calling a group called Not Down for Crown and uh, suggesting that various uses for the money that would help the social work program depart from the profession's history of white supremacist values and reorient itself towards social work values by prioritizing student and community voices. So on one hand, they don't want to name it after the donor, but on the other hand, they sure do want to use the money. Um, Lending support is Chicago attorney Leonard Goodman, who's a grandson of Henry Crown's brother Irving. Uh... And he does say he's proud of the family, ethical and moral people, but shouldn't be involved in war profiteering. The university, however, is not willing to budge because the Crown family's been throwing money at him for years. So they make a statement that it will strengthen the program's ability to engage with communities to address disparities, repair systemic inequalities, and develop innovative responses during this critical blah, blah, blah. So they're going to go ahead and name the thing after the hand that feeds them. But, you know, just if you put money into defense, that doesn't mean that you're uh, supporting war. That means that you're trying to prevent war by being strong, Right. And, of course, this is another schism that developed back in the 60s. And we've been suffering. Well, it's not just the 60s. I mean, ever since the end of World War One, you've had a big pacifist community. And, of course, Jesus was a pacifist, right? So, speaking of Jesus, uh, here's a quote from, you know, and this is the kind of advertising you get when you read the trip and print, Catholic cemeteries, right? And by the way, I've decided to be cremated when the time comes, so don't worry about making my wake, because I'm not going to have one. So, St. Teresa of Calcutta, which is Mother Teresa, you know, she got to be a saint, which was fast. Well, if anybody deserves it, obviously. So she evidently wrote a poem called Life, which I thought I would conclude with, because it's kind of upbeat. Life is an opportunity. Benefit from it. Life is beauty. Admire it. Life is a dream. Realize it. Life is a challenge. Meet it. Life is a duty. Complete it. Nice little rhyme there. Life is a game. Play it. Life is a promise. Fulfill it. Life is sorrow. That's for sure. Overcome it. Life is a song. Sing it. It's a musical. 
Life is a struggle. That's for sure. Accept it. Life is a tragedy. Uh huh. Confront it. Life is an adventure. Dare it. Life is luck. And of course, we think of Muddy Waters there who said, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Life is luck. Make it. Life is precious. Do not destroy it. Well, that's a little controversial, eh? Life is life, which is inarguable. Fight for it. Okay. So that's what St. Teresa says. I don't know if she, I don't even know her nationality, and I'm too lazy to Google it. So, uh, but I gather she was, well, maybe it's a translation. I don't know what her native tongue was. So, anyway, I'm going to clip that out and put it on the wall, and maybe that'll help. So, anyway, uh, that's it for today. Brief to the point, sort of. Uh, yeah, 21 minutes, and then we're done. So live long, prosper, stay safe. Uh, a friend of mine went with his daughter to a baseball game, and they both got COVID, even though he's been vaccinated at least first dose. So don't let your guard down, folks. We're almost hopefully done with this thing. But there's still virus. The virus doesn't care, you know, so... Stay safe, and we'll uh, talk to you probably next weekend, if history is any guide, recent history. Bye-bye.